0: Hi, and welcome to Drafting Compliance. I'm Kane. he's Tom, and we talked about system and communications protection last time. Today, we're talking about the key challenges when first starting the journey to ATO with our special guest, Michael we? But before we get to that, we have some beers. What are we drinking today, Michael?
1: Uh, today, we're drinking Old Rasputin from uh, North Coast Brewing.
2: It's One of the a cooler Russian
1: Imperial Stout. And one it's of, uh yeah. right here from California. It's yeah, got quite the beer. Fort going
2: Bragg, on. California. It's got a yes, very cool bottle. That's uh that is Rasputin on the bottle. So uh-huh. uh one of the original OGs of alcohol consumption, I think. So yeah, <laughs> North Coast Brewing. I've actually been here. Uh we have you? Yeah, we went out oh. several several years ago to the Redwoods in um we drove up the coastal road, and we went through Fort Bragg, and I try to stop at breweries. So this is one we stopped at. So I did not have that the old recipe. sounds delightful. Movement, but
0: wow. That oh. sounds fantastic and pretty. So, I'm so glad that we get to try this on. have Tom, have you tried this today, before today? I have not,
2: although I've had many stouts. So this is an imperial stout, which generally, when something says imperial, it just means it has a lot of alcohol in it. So this hits. Yeah,
0: I'm clocking this as 9%, 9%. Tom, so yeah. This is going to be like our live show. It's going to yeah. be absolute so, fire.
2: Tom starts to mix words up at over seven and a half percent, so this will be fun. All right, let's crack this beer. Let's give it a go. All right,
0: let's let's open Excellent. these up and see how they go. It's gonna.
2: Oh, open. I smelled it.
0: Ooh, that's got an aroma. Yeah, chocolate. Kane, I think you're gonna like this one. I can almost see, I like guarantee chocolates.
2: he's not gonna like this one, but uh, doesn't okay, mean so we don't try. Okay, the I'm
0: having here. I, I, now I've got too much head. The last time I did this with a beer with this much foam, I put my nose in the foam. Oh, but I got it to fit. See, I can be trained. Yeah. I can't see a single darn thing. Oh, like my that. goodness. It this is.
2: this smells like a Oof. cold winter night to me. I mean, this is amazing.
0: Fantastic. Well, we've got about the right time for this right now, or at least we're starting to get into those cold winter nights.
2: Gosh, there's vanilla. There's chocolate. Both on the nose coffee i'm
0: getting the chocolate i'm getting the coffee also maybe um what are those things um caramels maybe caramels or like burned sugar burned sugar yeah, i, that I can flavor. get there
2: yeah yeah man i'm not gonna keep smelling i'm gonna try it
0: yeah there you go all right well let's let's have a go and see how this is
2: oh it's sweeter than i would have anticipated <clears throat> yeah this is um it, oh it's got a lot of kind of subtle coffee tones to it. Definitely some chocolate tones.
0: Oh, it just is keeps this hitting. A,
2: is this a milk stout? I mean, it's definitely sweet. So it's sweet it's like not a uh, milk stout. Yeah, it's sweet like a milk stout. Uh, maybe not as sweet as some, but
0: yeah, <clears throat> this is... it's kind of like you know those baking chocolates that you're not supposed to eat when you're a kid, but you end mm. up eating them out of the. And then you're disappointed because... that they're
2: not they're not sweet like the chocolate you are used to.
0: <laughs> this has kind of got that flavor profile for me of that really bitter baking chocolate that you're not supposed to eat, but it also has. Um, I get the coffee flavor. Um, well, it is a yeah. beer
2: cane, so it, it can't just taste like chocolate. You know,
0: <laughs> it has to. Fair. If I wanted yeah, chocolate, yeah, I'd have kind of chocolate. Of defeats.
2: <laughs> the. We um,
0: do chocolate tasting on this show at some point. I think that'd be fantastic.
2: The denseness of the head is impressive too. I mean, this is. Um, you're reminiscent of the Guinness kind of head but you know this is not nitro which Guinness is nitro so it's this a nitro nice. it didn't no. have the little thing no, yeah, on no this is no right. this didn't this have the little, little widget nitro. in there so that's no, at least more impressive than that some it has of the that ones. foam
0: and Michael you recommended this beer to us for this production so thank you for that Yeah, going to take another sip and then we can probably get started most welcome most welcome
1: it's perfect yeah, for let's... winter nights like yeah. it really is delicious
0: mm. <laughs> that's not the word i choose but okay we will get to beer reviews at the end of the show i i promise but uh in the meantime michael considering the evolving framework that's happening under FedRAMP, uh, what have been some of the major hurdles that companies face in the initial stages of obtaining an authorization to operate or an ato
1: well i can tell you that that's a it's there are multiple responses from multiple angles on that one uh for a lot of organizations first off is from 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 like an actual like paper point of view mm-hmm. we're talking about companies that might not a lot of these companies are startups or they're startups that have continued on to their journey and they've grown to maybe like 600 employees 800 employees maybe even 135 less employees a lot of yep. cases yeah so Often, we feel seen, right so oftentimes these are companies that have moved really fast in building their products and getting to market and they're just everything is moving at such a fast pace that in order to do that they're often policy light organizations and when i say policy light it means that they don't have a ton of documentation um Everything from policies to procedures to various standards, guidelines, all the documentation that's going to be required as part of that overall package when you Mm -hmm. start getting um, further along your uh, FedRAMP ATO journey, Um, get ready to be a little more policy heavy. And so the resulting cultural shift that comes from that transition from those hard requirements can often quite cumbersome to get through. Uh, oftentimes, you need a lot of support, a lot of really strong support from across your C-suite. That means- yeah, and I
0: want to definitely get into the, the cultural things, um, just to stop you right there. I, I know we've got that. I, I want to tuck into that. But um, you're saying a lot of policies and procedures just haven't existed. How prescriptive is is the FedRAMP or the 3PAO expecting those to be? Is this something where you can just buy a package and customize it for your own organization? Or do you have to do what Tom's been doing, which is literally like drafting from start?
1: Um, it's a little. It's a mix of both. Uh, you could start with like a baseline template that would cover the baseline controls, uh, from NIST, Mm -hmm. And then you just basically build on top of that and tailor it. Not everybody, you know, it's not a one size fits all necessarily, but you do need to address all the requirements that you're going to be audited against. Um, so I would, I would
2: just uh, add, I would add that the policy piece and the procedure piece are really completely different asks from FedRAMP, right? The policy piece. FedRAMP is going to help you significantly in terms of how you write those, right? I mean, they're very prescriptive on what the policy has to say, but they leave the procedural piece of it wide open. And the procedure is what you're getting audited on from your Mm 3PAO and from the PMO and whoever else is coming to look at you from the federal side. So it is really difficult for those organizations that you spoke to, Michael, to understand what level their procedures need to be brought up to and to to me, that's where I've seen gaps, um, pretty significant gaps. Actually, we can get to policy. That's maybe a lighter ask, but the procedure seems like a burden that maybe most aren't prepared to take.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure if a startup's got their SOC two and they think, well, we, you know, we were able to show the auditor a selected set of controls that we were operating, I think they're going to have a bad time with FedRAMP, right?
1: Yeah, I've literally, I've literally witnessed that. Like, oh, we, we got through SOC two, Type two. FedRAMP should be a breeze. Um, <laughs> oh no. I, no. I uh, I've had con. I, I I I I'm found in disbelief every time I hear that. It's just like, oh, you'll see. Um, mm-hmm. But another another thing that often uh, that orgs need to take a look out or look out for when they start considering their FedRAMP ATO journey are the federal mandates and some of these extra pieces. So one thing that a lot of companies often miss, at least initially, until someone who is in the space can tell them is that, all right, getting FedRAMP, if you have your eyes on the broader uh, governmental agency space, if you are trying to go for Department of Justice or IRS or certain DOD agencies or or, or, or entities, you're going to have another set of requirements that you're going to have to meet. And so they vary between each other. But essentially with those orgs, FedRAMP being ATO is just getting your foot in the door, and it depends on what ATO level that you're even at to begin with. If you're FedRAMP low, not so much. Um, so that's, that's one thing that uh, folks need to keep an eye out for. There's incident disclosing, disclosure requirements that are super, super tight. So if you don't even have an incident response program or a vulnerability management program, you will struggle. Um, yeah.
0: I think anybody who doesn't have an ir process and procedure at this point is going to have struggles yeah
2: i feel I feel Absolute like that one has has sailed out of the fedrant harbor and is part of the greater ocean
1: now yeah especially with like i mean, I mean kane i know you've been digging into the whole scc rule that's come out um not not to detract or derail or anything but i mean you cannot run away from ir from not having an ir anymore
0: Right. That's no, more I, smoke and I, don't, I don't think you can, although I think Tom has left the harbor with that one. Was Rasputin a sailor? Was that something that he was I don't known think for? he was, was known as a cool. sailor. No, no, he was, he was okay. more
2: he was like known a wizard. Yes, yeah, so somebody who could per- predict the future.
1: Like a sorcerer, uh, like a soothsayer. Okay.
0: Well, that's a good pivot Ooh. point because it, we're sometimes pivot uh, looking at the future and trying to predict it. But Michael, you've you've talked about some current challenges with FedRAMP and for getting an ATO. How do those challenges really compare with challenges from previous years?
1: Uh, more recently with FedRAMP? Yeah. Uh, well- and We'll talk
0: about recent legislation and, and the OMB in a moment, but how is it, how are we doing compared to previous years organizationally for a lot of organizations?
1: I think a lot of organizations are still uh, struggling with navigating it. I think the changes that often come with Fed, with respect to FedRAMP, you know, there's changes that come, and you really have to stay on top of it. So the ongoing compliance- it's not continuous monitoring like what we're talking about for the for the mandates or any of the other requirements, but this is really what the new draft is is calling for. Are uh, it's, it's around continuous monitoring, it's around having the, I think having that new technical advisory group come in mm-hmm. is going to be super helpful by offering expertise directly from the government to anyone who is pursuing FedRAMP so that it's more clear. Um, some of the requirements could be a little nuanced. And it's really hard for a lot of organizations, especially in the private sector in particular, that are trying to go for FedRAMP really understand how they can stay on top of these evolving changes. Um, And, you know, oftentimes they're going to have questions and, you know, the federal government is already difficult for the private sector to navigate in a lot of cases if they've never done it before. Um, You know, you have to fill out this form or you have to perform this assessment or you need to format it correctly. There's not a lot of help that you see from the feds. Um, in terms of guiding you in the right direction. That's right. So I think that technical advisory board will be a nice bridge between the federal government and the private sector trying to achieve FedRAMP authorization.
0: And Tom, this is something we've had previous guests on who've talked about partnering with their 3PAO within ethical boundaries, of course. Is that something that you think would be an appropriate strategy for this?
2: If you're asking me, it's absolutely an appropriate strategy. Those guys are going to be closer to the pulse of of what is changing inside of FedRAMP, but they're also going to understand where <clears throat> sponsors have started to dial in in association with new mandates, new um, guidance, in. and they're really going to help hold your hand through that process. So if you don't have a good partner there, you know if you've treated your 3PAO like um, you know somebody you keep at an arm's length rather than somebody who you bring inside the fold, uh, you're doing it wrong. This is where a 3PAO can really, really help speed up your process.
0: Fantastic. And Michael, now I want to turn to uh, the recent legislation, actually, and we'll put a link to this in the show notes for those of you who aren't following recent legislation and memos out of the federal government. But just looking at that recent legislation and the uh, Office of Management and Budgets draft memorandum, how have the requirements for achieving an ATO really shifted? And what impact would you say that's having on companies that are just beginning their FedRAMP journey?
1: I think, uh, <clears throat> I think what's happened recently with the 3PAO um, level of quality in their audits and that sort of being disbanded, um, a lot of them have come under fire, or under scrutiny, and in a lot of cases, they've even revoked some of those assessments that they've performed for some organizations. Mm-hmm. I think they're setting a new standard for, listen, any organizations that are trying to get through FedRAMP by just doing the smoke and a very elaborate smoke and mirrors exercise is not going to cut it. I think holding it to a higher standard um and, and setting out those newer requirements, especially around continuous monitoring and maintaining your authorization is super, super important. I mean, we're talking about the federal government systems and using different applications and softwares into that, and then with, the ever-present risk of third-party vulnerabilities and you know a lot of the incidents happen through third parties. Correct. We have an executive order that we need to revamp our cybersecurity posture as a as a nation. And I think it only will encur- further encourage not only more effective collaboration between the government and those private and the private sector, but it'll actually very firmly convince convince the private sector that, hey, we really need to step it up. And in kind, it might even motivate these organizations to adopt more secure practices in not only their government practice, but in their commercial practice as well, which there's a very deliberate split between those two um, and Mm -hmm. how they try to scope in what security controls are applicable where.
0: Yeah, that's right. And I think Tom, we're doing some of that too, right?
2: Yeah, we are. I mean, really, the 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 burden of FedRAMP sort of forces you to do that initially. But the way I've always looked at it is is the best practice piece of FedRAMP, which is applicable no matter where you sit. Um, that's the golden star you should be reaching for anyway. So we will get commercial space up to up to snuff. We might have to back off on some of the things that I would consider. Um, more just just federal requirements rather than best practice you know go back going back to something you said michael i think is interesting is i agree with you 100 percent. we are seeing some pressure on the 3pao ecosystem right now but that draft guidance has some conflicting um verbiage in it in terms of of just hey we've got to get better and we've got to be more precise maybe from the 3pao perspective but hey we also need to speed things up and find other avenues to get authorizations done quicker right and this is this is a welcome Piece of language from the government because what we've seen really over the last year is a a absolute slowdown. I mean, we're talking about creek and wagon wheels here uh, from the government's ability to to get people through the process. And anything we can do to speed that up, but but certainly not diminish the the security posture and the intent of it, is a welcome change.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to get a wrangle still on what exactly they mean by like automating wherever you. Are we talking about using cloud native security solutions from AWS gov for example or are we talking about something else or are we even talking about you know uh, compliance solutions that would help speed things up well I know so one of I those think, yep yeah I think we all do
2: I mean the, 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 Maybe. the interesting thing there is it, it, it follows the playbook of FedRamp in general right where FedRamp always says we're possible automate. <laughs> it's sort of like a, it's sort of like a catchphrase that they use on a bunch of controls. They never give the prescriptive nature, and the, and quite frankly, a lot of companies struggle to understand what they actually mean there. What you have to do is is remove FedRant from your search and go out and and search the NIST best practices to yes. see what people are doing to solve those problems, and you'll f- you'll really quickly figure out what the actual ask is there because the federal government doesn't want to look biased and, and pointing to solutions, right?
0: No, and I can see them completely pointing towards NIST, given that the federal government helps to create and maintain NIST. Also, if you're enjoying this conversation on YouTube, ring the bell to get notifications about my quest to find literally any beer that's drinkable. Or you can subscribe to this podcast app in your app of choice to make this part of your monthly routine. So, Michael, from your experience, how does the um, the centralized nature of the FedRAMP program really influence the process of obtaining ATO for new entrants in the government contracting space?
1: Um, so, when we're talking about like centralized, we're talking about like the General Services Administration, or mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I for the new entrants in the government contracting space.
0: Yeah, people who are CSPs who want to obtain an ATO for actually, you know, being able to do business, and in some cases, just do business in a space where it's showing up as a FedRAMP is a requirement in a, a TPRM, a third-party risk management survey, not necessarily serving an agency.
1: Yeah. So, what what we what I struggled with in the past, or what my team and I struggled with in the past, as far as like centralized you don't really get too much of a there's a lot of stuff to navigate in terms of like okay mm-hmm. we have the gsa that we have to who is running FedRAMP essentially but then there's like these other involved parties so it depends on if you want to take the jab route the the so if you want to take the jab route that's like one the other one is having a sponsoring agency so at the end of the day there could be some there is some confusion that you need to get really clear on, not just between yourself and your team, but your key stakeholders as well. Who are we answering to at any given time? So if someone, uh, for example, from the PMO, from FedRAMP PMO, contacts you, or if you're getting a contact with them, um, you need to know who you're speaking with, versus, oh, hey, the deputy CISO has reached out from our sponsoring agency, and they have questions as to what the heck is taking so long. <laughs> um, dealt with that, that's fine. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say it definitely influences the process as far as the centralized Mm -hmm. nature of the FedRAMP program, but I wouldn't say that it's effectively centralized because it's, it's somewhat fragmented and we're on our own essentially to figure out how to navigate that. So I think having a sort of like info. Like some kind of liaison or ambassador of FedRAMP that points any entity that's interested in possibly exploring FedRAMP to go to them mm-hmm. and ask those initial questions about how it really works is a lot different than just having it on your website deep in the trenches of whatever web page vortex you have to go through to find it. Yeah. Um, I think making it more accessible to, to entities that are actually interested in exploring FedRAMP would be extremely helpful. I don't feel like it's centralized effective.
2: Well I think that's really smart. I mean if you if you look at <clears throat> and you sort of define is there resources available for FedRAMP? Oh yeah, there's a thousand of them in, and it's all pushed out by a central body, but is there help? No. <laughs> FedRAMP pushes yeah. out more documentation than you could ever read in a lifetime. Something that you would expect to dig into and, and take maybe 30 minutes to find an answer will take you four hours because the document that you get is 74 pages long when you think it could be two or three with a diagram, right? So there is a big gap, in my opinion, because of the centralization in terms of the help that you can find from the federal government um, associated with FedRAMP. So, Again, the helpful tip for anybody out there who's listening is go and search the same requirement on the NIST side, and you'll find Mm -hmm. way more help on that side than you will on just FedRAMP.
0: And Tom, you're probably, when you're saying NIST, you don't mean NIST CSF, you mean NIST 853. Yeah, so just for sake of clarity here, and that's not 800-171, I know the numbers are very similar, but it's 853 is kind of the uh, rubric I'd use as well for, for any FedRAMP requirements. Okay. But also we've talked about some modernization efforts in that draft OMB memo. Um, Michael, as, as FedRAMP's undergoing these modernization efforts, how do you see the ATO process is going to evolve for companies? Is it gonna get easier? Is it gonna get harder? Is it gonna stay the same and just they've, they've shuffled people around?
1: I think it's, I think it's just,
0: we'd like for it to get easier,
1: um, but as far as easier in terms of the process, it could get easier. I mean, when you're sending out these draft memos for public comments, I mean, are people actually going to drop in comments or the act, listen, um, you. I think if they make it easier for companies to figure things out at the beginning of their journey, kind of like what I was going back to what I was saying, offering actual help at the beginning of the journey, because that's the part, that's the biggest pain point. Once you're going, once you gain some traction and momentum on your journey, you're good. Once you achieve FedRAMP ATO and you're able, and you have all the mechanisms necessary to maintain your authorization, you're okay. But that initial part, they can. It's really on the government to see how they want to make things easy from a process standpoint. Like we can help expedite, we can help uh, make the process more smooth. Organization is a lot different than, uh, uh, you know, having new requirements that 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 the organizations pursuing it needs to to comply with. Um, so it's sort of a two pronged approach. There's the process of achieving FedRAMP authorization. And then there's actually achieving and complying with FedRAMP requirements. Um, so I, I, I would say we're it's, it's at a point now where there will likely need to be more collaboration between the federal government and the commercial sector through that technical advisory group. I think that's what's really, I think it will be a two-way street back because the technical advisory group will be able to advise private sector on how to comply with any new requirements and any other relevant matters, but also it serves as an avenue for the private sector to, you know, give them the on the ground perspective of, okay, well, you're telling us this, but this is really what it is. So that tag is really going to be, in my opinion, I think that's going to be a game changer, but if it's a good or bad game changer is going to be the question.
2: Well, that's the key, right? That's the key, right? I mean, I, I, I love your optimism. And and yeah. I certainly share that optimism, but I also have you know years of jaded <laughs> wisdom, where <clears throat> you know the government comes up with good ideas all the time, and then they ruin it with um, bureaucracy and bureaucracy. you know layers and layers and layers of people in the middle of it, right? So if we can get to a tag that is absolutely on the pulse of both three PAOs and and the ultimately the innovative companies bringing solutions to their um, to their doorstep. That's a nirvana that I cannot wait to get to, um, but I am probably reasonably dubious that we will get there anytime soon.
0: Well, I think we've seen these initiatives happen before, and you're right; it's uh, it's a little too early to say, but I hope that it goes well, given that we're in the middle of a Fed ramp journey ourselves right now. Yeah, well, the one thing and I also
2: one thing I will say, Kane is is we have seen more focus from the Biden administration on improving this process than we've seen mm-hmm. since. It, came out in what 2011 or whatever so the fact that we have some focus on it and we have a administration that understands that we have to be better at this in order to speed up not only the the government's adoption of of tool sets but also the maturity posture of security organizations all around the united states i think that's a good thing I think it's an. Yeah, an ad I, I
0: think we can agree that all organizations becoming more secure is ultimately going to be a good thing. But I want to I want to go back to something that Michael said at the uh, towards the top of the podcast around culture, and we've talked through a lot of technical fiddly bits. We've talked through controls. We've talked through monitoring. Let's talk about that culture change though that you alluded to, Michael. What type of a cultural change is FedRAMP for a smaller CSP like a startup or uh, like a small business?
1: Yeah. So the biggest thing would be just overall coordination, getting buy-in from the executives of, of your startup. Um, the maturity of your actual product says a lot, too. So what do I mean by that? Essentially, how do you respond to fixing vulnerabilities? Like, that's one, that's one thing. If you don't have a vulnerability management program at all. Or if you're not at the very least in practice, remediating vulnerabilities within those required time frames. So like high is 30 days, moderate is 90 days, low is 180 days. If you're not doing that right now and you have a massive backlog of bones on your product, you're going to really struggle. And what that ultimately comes down to from a cultural aspect is it's engineering culture. Mm -hmm. You have I've worked with engineers that care deeply about security and they're good about security hygiene. And I've worked with engineers that, frankly, they just want to ship and deploy as fast as they possibly can. They, they see security as an adversary rather than as a partner. Mm-hmm. And so that partnership dynamic between security and, and engineering is super important. Um, so if you don't have those vulnerability practices down, you're going to really struggle. And getting them to that place where they are okay with, with engaging with those SLAs as needed that's a culture shift in and of itself. Um, more broadly speaking, uh, are the are the departments and the teams outside of security and engineering that are involved at in some degree in the government side of the business, which is going to be your legal teams, including your procurement teams. Those have a whole new set of requirements. So if you're a little loosey goosey with, you know, procurement's a nightmare, or you guys take a long time, which isn't even a problem. It's more of how does that process flow and how are, is legal handling contracts and whatnot? That's <laughs> another piece where you sort of have to sit down and ask yourself, okay, do we have the appropriate expertise in our organization to handle, like, are our lawyers familiar with dealing with government agencies? If they're not, you might have to invest in hiring additional folks or resources, bringing in certain things and running a whole new team that is in parallel so one is focused on commercial the other one is focused on government um, and even with hr your hr practices might vary differently from your enterprise hr practices and so mm-hmm. sort of these these nuanced uh impacts to your to your organization might actually require some cultural or mindset shifts and that often is a struggle for a lot of different Companies of this sort of profile, um, and so that that that's sort of the larger thing. If you have offices, there might be some physical security. Uh, oh boy, yes, that's that that, you have hmm. to get in place. that sounds all too not familiar. Just, not me. just coming with manufacturing. <laughs> yeah.
0: Wow, you have there's to yeah, clean desk you know. policies all the way around. Clean desk policy. <laughs> if there's anything
1: where pack or pack and PIV Oh, no, might have yeah, yeah let's
0: all build ourselves a skiff here, yikes. You're going through a <laughs> lot of cultural change things there. Yeah. Tom, we're, we're seeing a little bit of that, though, like internally inside of our organization where we really have had to have those conversations with uh, the leadership team, right? Well, yeah,
2: certainly. I mean, if you think FedRAMP is going to only impact your sort of technical teams... Um, you're sadly mistaken, right? It, this is going to impact your hiring, your onboarding, your offboarding. So HR significant. It's gonna it's gonna impact your acquisition of hardware, software. So it's gonna impact finance. Um, you have to look at your processes end to end and how they cross groups to make sure that they um, sort of support the requirements of FedRAMP. You know, ultimately it becomes an information security requirement at the end of the day. But you are pushing those requirements to those other groups to make sure they um, they meet what's required.
1: Absolutely. Um, and, and I would even add, like taking a step back, you could even, my biggest thing is when you have that initial conversation with your executives, it needs to be made absolutely clear that FedRAMP is not like any other framework, This <laughs> is not something as simple as pursuing SOC 2. It's not something as, uh, this is not the same level of effort that's required to go after ISO twenty-seven thousand one, or even UK—you know, UK's uh, Cyber Essentials
0: Plus. No, yeah, oh, okay. yeah. The, the Plus ones at least have got some teeth. The other ones are yeah, the kind Plus of ones push nice, push but, you know,
1: yeah. the other ones are based on self-assessments, and you know, eh, really, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> But uh, you know, in comparison to any other framework, FedRAMP is a monster, and the that's expectations right. have to be set with the man, with the uh, you know, with your senior leadership. If they are not on that page, you will get hounded throughout the process. Why is this taking so long? Why is this costing so much? Why do we have to hire more people? Like give us the navigating that political process is not helpful in the overall journey. And that could actually stall you. I've I've been parts of teams where we had to go through multiple iterations of how our program was gonna be structured and how we were going who was going to lead it, who is who and who is doing what, who owns what. Who owns the federal program altogether? That oftentimes you'll see a lot of CSOs pushing back on that, and saying, "Whoa, this is expanding outside of security. Now you're mm-hmm. diving into engineering, you're diving into ip you're diving into HR. These are all functions that I don't even oversee as a CSO. But if I was a CSO, that is the sort of pushback that would be given. And so navigating those initial pieces." all have cultural implications the culture of the company could influence how those decisions are made and whether they're the right or wrong decisions or good or bad decisions
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's really it's, it's it's teasing out all those things before you even sit down with
0: your executive members. that's so ultimately this is not a bottom-up type security yeah, that's right.
2: that's a really smart right, comment. I'm, gonna, I'm, absolute, gonna, yeah. I'm gonna let that one hang because michael i think you said it all there that was really smart
0: Fantastic. Well, with that, I think we are on to our uh, beer review portion of the program. Um, Michael, you recommended this beer. Yeah, let him go if first. If you go first, do you think that's going to influence us? Uh, it probably won't influence me. <laughs> it won't Maybe influence, it'll influence me. Tom. So, no. All right. So, Michael, tell us what you think of this beer. This uh, is the Old Rasputin by uh, North, North Coast Brewing yep. Company. Well, I don't
1: mean to brag about Fort Bragg. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Dad <laughs>
0: jokes early.
1: Uh. <laughs> Great beer. It's one of my favorite stouts out there, if not my favorite stout other Guinness. Um what's the scale? What, out of five? It's a one to ten.
0: One to oh, ten. One to ten. Wow. Yes, if you've watched my videos, yeah, you wonder why there's any numbers are above so five. Low. I'm seeing
1: like ones <laughs> and twos. I'm like, oh wow, yeah. be five. you'll you uh, see no, me get we'll to rest, eight occasionally. For me,
0: this is a solid eight. Nine. Solid eight. Okay. Game, okay. what eight, do you think? Solid eight. Cool. What do I think? Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, as, as, as typical, I tend to sniff these ones at the end. The um, nose profile, really, the, the way it smells has not changed. So mm. we've had that happen on the show before where something smells either really good and then it smells terrible or something smells terrible and then it... Smells worse, and I end up investing in air fresheners. And um, this has pretty much been consistent throughout. I'm going to have another sip of it just to see if the flavor profile has changed. You can tell by exactly how much I've had and, and exactly how much I'm enjoying <laughs> this. You know, it's a little better if you let it sit out. I'll say that much. It it it's not as it's what's the word malty malty it's kind of like um if you were to take uh malted milk balls my mother loved malted milk balls always had those in the house when i was growing up i absolutely loathe those hi mom and also if you were to have um baking chocolate and combine that you pretty much get this flavor profile of malted milk with bitter chocolate i'm just really selling it so i'm gonna um i'm gonna actually having said that Knowing my scale, and Michael called me out on that one, I'm going to be very generous and give this a four.
2: Holy! Uh,
0: that's, I'm wow. going to give it a four, and the reason why is I think over the past year of what has been a three and what has been a two, and none of this is not as skunky as any of those threes, and please, if we could never do the twos again, I'd be the
2: worst. <laughs> All right, well, that's amazing. Tom, what about you? <laughs> so it's, it's encouraging to, to see you get into the four space. Um, I, I consider that... Um, you know, maybe a nod to our ability to bring you new flavors and the growth and maturity in which your palate has gone through over this last year. Um, you, if we're going by how much you've drank, we'll look at mine. That's what I have left. <laughs> oh, wow. <clears throat> so I've enjoyed it thoroughly. You know, I, I disagree with you. The nose on it has opened up quite a bit. So you get some of the sweet uh, in the nose now. You get a little less of the, the shock of the, the kind of the cold coffee smell. The flavor on this You also is,
0: have less in your glass though, so that, that I'm sure could be that it. helps it open up a bit um,
2: more. I will say that the taste of this surprised me. Um, when I saw Imperial Stout, I was thinking, oh, this is gonna be heavy alcohol flavor, um, maybe a little bite on the back side. This is completely different. It's it's very sweet. It's extremely malty, so you know, stouts aren't super hoppy. Um, I think it's really good. So on a cold winter day, I I might actually go out and make sure I have a uh, an old rest boot in the in the in the fridge going forward. So I'm going to give this for a stout. I'm going to give this
0: a seven. For a stout, you're giving it a seven. Is that an overall? Because I don't think we have a separate rating scale, Tom, for like stouts. Yeah,
2: I mean, you case, can, so. what you can't so do is, is you seven. can't always influence it based upon your very favorite beer. This is a very good stout. So if I were if I were you know comparing it to Would I rather have this or one of my hazy IPAs? I'd pick my hazy IPA still. But on a cold winter night, I will reach for something like this and this is a good one to have in the fridge.
0: Fantastic. Well, Michael, thank you for sharing this with us today and that's all for today. If you think you know a beer I'd like or if you have a FedRAMP question, drop it in the comments below and remember to like our YouTube and LinkedIn pages to hear live interviews with information security professionals. Thanks everyone.